0: This is the Better Life, Better Work Show, and I'm your host, Allison Crowe. I'm a life and self-leadership coach for authentic and ambitious small business owners and professionals. I show up here in your ears as a transparent leader doing the same inner and outer work that you are. I'm here to remind you that you're probably a gardener and not a machine and that soft, sustainable, and soulful success is actually available to you on your own terms. Emotional presence and wellness are also available to you as someone who juggles both an amazing business and a beautiful life. I'm here to remind you that more is not better, better is better. You know what that means? It's another car episode. (laughs) I'm all tangled up in my uh, headphones. And I don't have my seatbelt on, so we'll get that taken care of. Today, I want to just do a little riff on unarmored, unarmored being, unarmored leadership. And I am definitely no master, but I am committed to the path. In fact, that's going to be the title of the book I'm almost finished with. I'm going to tell you what, y'all. You commit to an authentic, soulful life. That means you're... Well, I don't know what it means for you. I can't tell you that. For me, an authentic life means being committed to a true life, to this glorious human life that as has shown up in the themes of my work over the last few years, both and, woman of range, authentic and ambitious, more is not better, better is better, feel it all, lead your parts, Unarmored is worth it, and it is, it's intense sometimes. So it's Sunday morning and I'm recording this for you after another full week, not just busy, but also requiring lots of recovery time. Y'all realize when the stress goes up, the rest must go up. And I finally last night came to a realization about re-traumatization. I do not mean to be rhyming, but it's clearly what happened, happening. So I've been for myself a little off kilter. I've been feeling a lot of tension, a lot of Emotional stress. I've been um, helping my parents move, got my mom and dad moved into their new senior living apartment. We still have a giant third of the move to do. So the first third was getting my parents to be willing to put the house up and get an offer negotiated. We did that in April, the end of April. And then the second part was what I call the emergency move. Um, my, our, my parents' house is on a hill, and they've lived there for 53 years. And so there is an accumulation of stuff. And my dad had that stroke in March, at the end of March, the beginning of April. April 1st was the stroke. And all of that kicked off this season, of adjustment for my parents and we've all known it was coming for a long time we just didn't know when it would finally come and here it is and so last week one of the reasons I didn't do an episode was because I had gone over to check on my parents and realized that we needed to kind of do what I called an emergency move so this was not just moving our stuff the stuff will come later but um, was able to rally around and not rally but able to find a can you send over a truck and some movers within the next two days we need to get my dad out of this house because it's a fall risk and while my dad is doing way way better he still has some stability issues and needs to be an environment that doesn't have a lot of stairs and that he can move around so we got my parents quote emergency moved with their primary things, their bed, their table, a lot of their clothes, their kitchen so that they can go ahead and live in the new apartment and then go back to the house to finish with the packers some moving things. So downsizing, you all there are, there are like realtors and companies that help do this and it's a it has been emotional for everybody in my family. Is emotional for me. The first time I walked into a senior apartment, the very first one I walked into was super nice. It's not the one where my parents lived, but there was a sweet lady there. Well, yeah, the marketing lady, right? That tours you around. And I just walked in and I was overwhelmed and caught off guard by my tears. And... This leads me to a point that there are obvious traumas and difficult seasons. Losing a loved one, having a major illness, being put in the hospital, car accidents. There are a lot of major traumas that can happen to people and to families that are obvious. (laughs) And in reference to my childhood, I often say, "With I remember a, a therapist, um, actually, I had hired Dr. Jeffrey Rutstein to help me with some meditation work, and he also happens to be a um, psychiatrist, I think a clinical psychiatrist or psychologist, I can't remember. Anyways, he had asked me about childhood trauma, and I was like, who, me, Trauma? And then I realized my first therapist ever in my 20s asked me that. And I was like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. We grew up, you know, we went to private school. We had a boat. I had my own car at 15. We lived in the nice neighborhood. And I didn't have what we call, well, what I call after school special trauma, which was this obvious abuse physical violence you know things that make the headlines and what I'm learning about myself and others and this is not about fault it's just about cause but I am learning about the traumas of emotional neglect even while there was physical presence I'm learning about the trauma of being a child of alcoholic parents. My parents have been sober for a long time. I'm also learning about the trauma of, you know, being the oldest of my parents' four kids. There are five kids in my family. I have an older half sister, but four kids lived at my home. And then helping. So, so I'm learning about that. And then I'm just realizing it's funny, a part of me just. a part of me just popped in my head and was like, why are you sharing all this on a podcast? It's stupid. And it's very much symbolizing how in my internal system, I have many, many parts that are feeling disrupted right now. I have many protective parts that want me to stay disconnected, stay quiet, isolate and withdraw so that they feel safe and the wise core self of me knows that I'm safe, I'm physically safe, I'm emotionally safe, I'm very resourced Um, and I'm also very aware from self that many of my Frightened parts have been activated by political shifts and patterns that I'm seeing, that many of us are. Also, by these shifts in my family and taking care of myself and my husband and my dogs and helping my parents downsize. It is traumatic for them, and it's traumatic for all of us kids too. And we each have our own different ways of handling it. And as you all probably know, anytime we're with family on a regular basis, we're not just with our current selves. What I heard a phrase in one of my classes last week in a compassionate inquiry class with Gabor Mate called un, was it not undi- unmetabolized childhood material. And so needless to say, in the most beautiful way and frankly 75% difficult it could be it could be way worse but it is difficult a lot of my unmetabolized childhood material is coming up and it's perfect I had a massive awesome anger resentment cry session with my therapist and I noticed that as my good girl parts are relaxed my self-trust is increased and my willingness to not, because my self-trust is increased, I don't need to disconnect from parts of me that have been kind of hidden and shoved away. And so the front line of the, my coping skills, my protective parts... Has been like performance and be good and be kind and be nice and I've noticed I'm also been taking a boundaries course with um, my friend and colleague Shanti Zimmerman, The Clarity of Boundaries. I highly recommend it. I've been continuously in my ifs studies and so i have been actively pulling back gently compassionately layers and getting to know parts of myself and then you toss in helping your parents downsize from 53 years my parents house of all the people that grew up on on bowman avenue in austin texas my parents are the last ones all the other neighbors all the other friends have either passed on or moved And when I look through family photos, and that's one of the fun tasks that I'm doing is taking some of the old photo albums that are falling apart. And while my husband and I are watching TV, I'm putting them in new photo albums for my mom, kind of condensing it down. And um, I, I see my parents' house as it was when they first bought it, right? The day I was born brought me home to that house. And all of us, every single one of us, my mom and dad and all my brothers and sisters have a lifetime of memories from that house. And even some of our friends and connections on social media grew up playing in that house, grew up going to parties in that house, grew up going to slumber parties in that house. And... So there's nostalgia, and then also as we're unearthing everything and helping my parents in ways they may or may not want to be helped. It, it along with politics, are both new areas for me to let go of control. <laughs> Doesn't it often come back to control? And how that relates to unarmored. <laughs> and for me, armor, I didn't I didn't know that I was I had spent a life building up armor. I didn't know that I'd spent a life building up protective devices. And It doesn't mean that I put them all down and don't have them anymore. Unarmored for me is also about being wise and discerning with layers of armor. Intentional when I need it and unarmored when I want it. I really do feel the, I feel my need for connection. And I feel humanity's need for connection And I see, as in the last episode, all the ways the invisible systems are positioned against connection. And there are moments when I get angry and frustrated and rebellious and defensive. And there are moments when I armor completely up. And today I feel... A little bit more calm and clear because I let myself feel and process and explore irritation, resentment, anger, frustration, a lot of really difficult emotions. And even when I'm experiencing difficult emotions, there are still parts of me that want everything to be pretty, that want everything to be inspirational, want everything to be acceptable. And I'm listening to a book on grief right now. And around me are friends and colleagues who've lost husbands, children, parents, friend of mine from a year-long cohort passed away unexpectedly a couple of weeks ago. And so, yeah, there's a lot of like big, obvious grief, but it's the little griefs that I'm taking a sweet and soulful inventory of. And I'm going slow in my journal, but I have a page for A series of small disappointments or big disappointments that are kind of invisible. (laughs) Right? We all have plans and expectations. I don't know. Maybe you don't. (laughs) Maybe you're one of those people that is totally surrendered and detached. I'm not. (laughs) Trust me, I'm not. I'm attached. And I also don't want to be completely detached. Like, at some point, there used to be this desire for me to be all, love what is, love whatever arises, Byron Katie Holy. And I realized that that's not what I want. I don't want to love what is. And that's actually part of what I'm grieving is like, this certain thread of spirituality, this certain thread of way of mastery. And for me, that was just another armor. And what I'm, as I unbecome armored, I become this human being with all her faculties. Both and in the paradox, the nuances, even though it doesn't always feel good, it feels so good. It feels alive, it feels real and raw. It definitely has some ups and downs. There are still definitely circumstances. And I just see the circumstances differently. I both see them for what they are. (laughs) And sometimes that's irritating and frustrating and painful. I also still see the lessons. And it is a holding of the grief and the joy at the same time. Certainly unarmored doesn't happen overnight. That would be abrupt to the nervous system. So that's, that's the other thing that's come up and it's come up in coaching with my clients. I didn't realize till a week ago, thir- Thursday, something that was new for me in this difficult season, not bad. There's so many good things that are happening. I knew, I knew back in May, my summer would be um, that I would not be in a selling season. I would not be in a massive content creation for my business, that my business would not be my primary focus, but that um, as far as business caring for current clients would be priority in my business. My own nourishing practices would be a priority, including rest and play, and then caring for my parents and writing my book. (laughs) So, like, already all of that is a lot. Didn't anticipate the dying dogs. The dogs are actually doing really well this week, (laughs) right? And I I start to look at that list and I listen to my clients and I'm like, just kind of list out everything that you're holding on your plates right now, whether it's physically or emotionally or tactically. And many of us are going through things with a loaded plate with a larger than normal impact on our nervous systems. And I realized last week my nervous system was shot to hell and I was trying to operate out of a a kind of what my husband and I call tilt <laughs> when I get into tilt and tilt is a place for me where I, I just, I just kind of spin forward a little too fast and it ends up in either a perfect breakdown or exhaustion or, and and this time tilt, I wish it had all come in like one big cry, but I had a lot of slow leaks this week. <laughs> Just little leaky spots for my tears. I'm um, not forcing it all to come at one time, but just allowing it to gently bubble over and hold it and bubble over and hold it and bubble over and hold it and bubble over and hold it. And, and, hold it. and that was new for me. But I did realize my nervous system absolutely, like it, what this wasn't just a mindset thing, y'all. It's really challenging and I my clients help my clients see this week and just a reminder for all of us. And for you listening, it's really challenging to get out of overwhelm or grief or, or any really difficult emotion when your nervous system is inflamed. And so the first thing we have to do, like if you say, Oh, change your thinking, change your life. Oh, change your mindset. Ask a better question. And I think, I don't think, I know this is one of the reasons I love compassionate inquiry and internal family systems, because step number one is attunement. (laughs) Step number one is to recognize the nervous system and to slow down. Step number one is attunement and compassionate attunement. And so often in this go, go, go directional world of coaching and self-improvement, there, you know, and one of my first and favorite books was Change Your Thinking, Change Your Life by Brian Tracy. Right? It was one of my first little coachy books and I loved it. And there's, I, I'm learning that there are no absolutes. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say that your nervous system being attended to is an absolute. And for me to do helpful thought work, for me to do helpful meditation, for me to do helpful leadership, for me to do helpful IFS internal process work, for me to do compassionate inquiry with myself or with others requires my nervous system to be in a certain state. And so, if you're listening, just a little quick check-in to your own nervous system? Does it feel calm and peaceful and regulated? Does it feel... I like the words um, inflamed, irritated. Matt Kahn in one of his books talks about having an inflamed nervous system instead of using the scientific clinical terms of all the science and clinical terms because I got a real visual of an inflamed nervous system, right? You can have a wound that is just a scratch on your arm. And if it's not inflamed, it's just a scratch. But if it becomes inflamed with infection, even a little, a little tiny scratch can be painful. Or is it completely hijacked? And I, I love my family and I. it is absolutely my intention to be helpful in the ways that I am able physically, time-wise, emotionally, financially, to my family, to my parents, especially right now. And sometimes it, it, is, it is circumstances that my nervous system is very likely to get hijacked. Absolutely. I'm going into conditions and emotions and history that is ripe for a hijacked nervous system. I've done mostly well. I've definitely had my moments. And getting mom and dad into this new apartment was also a huge relief. It was like, it was one of those benchmarks where, because there was some relief, then there's um, this was another lesson that came up this week because there because something has been accomplished doesn't mean there's not an aftermath or an aftershock like an earthquake right earthquakes have sometimes aftershocks right again there's an acclamation of energy of emotion coming back to center doesn't often doesn't always happen in an instant and one of the ways i knew i began to see that my nervous system was hijacked was that my ability to find self my ability to quiet some of my parts was more difficult take a sip of water <clears throat> right i found it a little bit more challenging to access self And so, I would, so this is what it looks like in practice. I would notice parts, let's say, so one of the things that's happened um, pretty much every night for the past three weeks, this is very unusual for me, but at 2.30 in the morning, I am wide awake. Sometimes it's because Leroy barks and needs to pee. And then other times, I think Leroy is barking and needs to pee, but I'm actually up overthinking and worrying about things in ways that I haven't done in 20 years. And so I'm like, oh, hello, thinking parts. I see that you're here. It's the middle of the night. And listen, this doesn't happen immediately. It might be after 30 minutes of just spinning. And I'm like, oh, I realize I'm spinning. And so... This is, this is literally what I say to myself in my head as I'm lying there in bed. Hello, spinning parts, overthinking parts. I just want you to know I see you're here. And is there any way you would give me some space so that I could go back to sleep? And their response has been, no, we have problems to solve. And one of the things we do in IFS as clinicians, practitioners... And in my own personal practices, we never make demands. There's a lot of consent involved. And I've noticed a lot of my parts don't want to give consent. And so I have a choice there. I either can spin and get frustrated, or I can realize that I'm not doing it wrong, that sometimes parts are just really activated. And so I let them be activated, and I'm just working on being present with their activation And my intention becomes, can I lie here on my pillow and do nothing more than say, I'm with you, I notice you, I'm here for you, and then I'll listen to anything you want to say. What are your fears and concerns? And I do notice a slight difference when I ask my thinking parts, what are your fears and concerns versus them telling me their fears and concerns all on their own. Um, And it does create a sense of calm. But in the past, when my nervous system wasn't inflamed, I would be able to have that conversation and very quickly get out of overthinking. And so this is an interesting phase of my own self-learning with IFS practices, with my own processes. And it just reminds me with the world that sometimes, like, I do have fixer parts. I think a lot of my clients do too. As the oldest, as an Enneagram 7 that doesn't like discomfort, as a head-centered Part who are head centered, part as a head centered human being whose coping skills. I'm in the Enneagram, it's called head led. There's head led, body led, and heart led. And I used to think I was heart led, but I'm head led. This is where I feel the most safe is in my head, and where I feel the least safe is in my body. And so the last five years have been me practicing actually more than way more than five years. I've lost count. I'm learning to be and move back into my body. And so, I've long said you can't overthink your way out of overthinking. And so, you got to get back in your body. And so, sometimes at night, my, when my overthinking won't rest, I actually will get up and go outside and sit on the back patio and look at the sky. Like, I change my physical state to change to be able to get back into my body. And a lot of really simple breathing and not making myself go any further than my breath, And there are parts of me that like, okay, let's breathe. Let's get it on. And then let's get back to happy-go-lucky inflow Allison. <laughs> it's hilarious how result-oriented there are parts of me, right, that want resolution. And so this weekend, here's a new one um, that was interesting to me. What showed up is a strange uh, the reason I say strange not that it's strange in and of itself but it's strange for me was I had an extra strange craving for order and cleanliness around my house I had an extra like my husband's normally the one who does that and I just noticed it last night and I was like oh this is weird I don't normally have these compulsions to tidy up so much and make sure the bathtub is clean on a random Saturday night <laughs> and I just noticed it and allowed it and I realized that I actually also last week realized this actually 10 days ago realized this when I agreed to have a foster dog who will be coming this week and I had a really um disrupted morning and there's a lot of stuff going on with politics it was probably around the time that i did that episode about invisible systems and just feeling some awareness about a whole lot of truths that i can't control or things that i see as truth that are happening in the world that i can't control and so when i go to what can i control um I just looked at my husband and I said, I'm, I'm saying yes to a foster dog. I know you probably don't want it, but it's something I would like to do for myself because it gives me a sense. It gives me one thing, one task, one caring job that is appreciated and reciprocated something that i can control and maybe i don't know like these here goes the personal development part of me the personal development part is is like well you should be able to surrender all control yeah i'm not going with that i'm going what can i control and so what i can control is my willingness to raise my hand and make a difference right like i may not be able be able to make a difference with some of the things i believe politically but I can make a difference with one dog that needs to be pulled from a shelter that needs extra special care that I can give. I'm already giving two dogs care. I can give a third dog care. Come on in. It helps me call it codependent. If you want, it helps me to give, it helps me a feel, a sense of purpose in the world to give, care and I'm learning the boundaries of not giving care where it's not wanted or needed sometimes where it's not reciprocated I'm totally here for reciprocal relationships and so yeah I'm choosing things like taking care of dogs or doing cleaning tasks around the house or doing projects that have a start and a finish and they give my system a sense of completion and control in little bitty areas that actually helps me in the areas where I can't control relax right and so instead of spinning into something that I can't control I can pause my breath rest and then go is there a project that I can do that will give me a sense of care and completion So yeah, here's my unarmored ramble today. A little bit of behind-the-scenes processing. And I know I'm very, like, I have parts that are like, oh, you're so heavy, and I'm trusting, and I have plenty of, I'm trusting, first of all, in my own acknowledgement, my own validation, that some of these behind the scenes ways of being and sharing these with you and sharing how I process. I'm not saying it has to be your process, but leaders are human too. I don't have, who, who leads me? Who shows up for me in their humanness? I still haven't found it. Because socially, I guess it's acceptable to hide all this shit and process it privately. And so in a lot of ways, I'm being my own leader. I'm still on the lookout for my own mentors. I do have my own support, so that's good. And I start in two weeks, I start or three weeks, I start my IFS Um, Level one training. So that will be nice to have a community of support around like that. And God, I just wish when I was younger, I'd had a human being, a parent or a leader or a coach. Honor my human journey. And that's one of the reasons why I... I'm willing to at times be unarmored for y'all. I'm not responsible for your happiness. I'm not responsible for your misery. Um Yeah. Unarmored. What I know when I'm unarmored first with myself. And by the way, until... You can tell you're in Austin now. Everybody honking. Until I was able to be unarmored with myself, I'm not going to come and be unarmored with y'all. And I've spent a lot of time being unarmored with my... Imperfectly unarmored with myself. In various ways, especially through creativity, through swimming, through my body, through journaling, through thinking, (laughs) through dumping emotionally with my sister and a few friends. And even in heavy times, it feels lighter. And it reminds me that the process is a massive part of the journey. Wherever you are today, I send you so much love. I send you calm. I send you a nervous system check. I send you big, deep breaths. The kind that stretch your ribs and help you see the tension you're holding so that you can gently release it. I send you the beverage, cozy beverage of your choice. <laughs> I send you so much love and appreciation and I appreciate you spending time with this one little leader rambling in your ears about finding a way to live a full Glorious, human, both and, person of range, life. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode and want to dive deeper, come check out the Soli Self-Leadership Society. It's my online coaching membership community, a networking community, a place to belong, and a place where you can be coached by me in life and business We dive deep into the practices of both being and doing that help us create our unique version of soulful success. It's a special community of small business owners just like you, and it's where I show up and give my clients personal support at an accessible fee. Check it out at www.coachwithallison.com. As always, thanks for listening. And I want to give a special shout out to Elise Rich from Wide Awake Recordings for her sound production each week on my episodes, especially the car episodes, and for her music composition for my intro and outro. This show is sponsored by my three dogs, Leroy Brown, Clementine, and Rocky Potato. They're here to remind you to consider adopting when you get your next pet. More is not better, better is better.